Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week you'll hear a conversation about bioengineering and immunotherapy with Dr. Tarek Fami. Dr. Fami is Associate Professor of Biomedical Engineering and of Immunobiology at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. Let's uh, start off by telling me a little bit about what it is a biomedical engineer does. <laughs> well, so biomedical engineering is, is a very um, uh, a wide profession, really, in, in, in the scope of the breadth of what they do. So, for example, uh, diagnostic devices that we're all familiar with, like magnetic resonance imaging, MRI, CT scan, um, X-ray equipment, all these things were actually originally designed by uh, what we call now biomedical engineers. Hmm. Uh, biomedical en- engineering in the sense of uh, biomolecular engineering is a very new area in biomedical engineering. And that refers to the idea of taking small things, not big equipment, proteins, uh, small molecules, and tailoring them um, so that they can be um, more therapeutic in the body, uh, less toxic effects, bystander effects. So um, biomolecular engineering is a very hot area, actually, in biomedical engineering. I see. Well, it's always good to be in a hot area, especially if you're applying for funding, I guess, right? It's great, yeah. Yeah. So does one train, uh, if one wants to be a biomedical engineer, does one train as an engineer or as a biologist, or how does one do that? That's a great question. Uh, There's actually, um, so uh, as an example, my training is very uh, very bizarre. I actually have a very hybridized training um, background. Uh, I started off as a chemical engineer. Uh, I worked in DuPont for a number of years, uh, making the polymers that we all use and love. And uh, and then I uh, uh, shifted into immunopathology um, at Hopkins, uh, did my graduate work in immunology. And then I decided I want to do my postdoctoral work in something that intersects between chemical engineering and uh, immunology or biology in general. And, of course, that means biomedical engineering, and that's how I ended up in that field. Um, Now, biomedical engineering now training is well-established in the sense of the core tracks that people um, can get training in in order to do different things. For example, our biomechanics, um, orthopedic engineering type of uh, specialties. There is bioimaging, as we were talking, the MR, uh, magnetic resonance, CT. Um, and then, of course, there's the biomolecular engineering, which is uh, a very exciting topic. Hmm. And do people study this at the level of uh college education or is this kind of mostly postgraduate it's uh, no it's actually undergraduate now you can do it the undergraduate um, major in biomedical engineering at Yale we have a fantastic program um, trains uh, students right out of high school in uh, biomedical engineering and uh, you, you of course specialize more um, as you uh, evolve into the graduate studies hmm. yeah no it was also a very popular uh, 
undergraduate major at Johns Hopkins, where I guess we must have overlapped, you Is and that I. Right? Is yeah. that right? So all of you um, high school people who are, of course, listening to this fascinating show, who are kind of science geeks, <laughs> but, but are fascinated by the techno aspect of it, uh, you know, look into bioengineering as a as a potential interesting field, if that's something that floats your boat as you hear what Dr. Fahmy does. So that, that's, that's really interesting. Thanks for that little uh, uh, background, because it's something I've always wondered about, especially having so many years at Hopkins, where we'd see a lot of these biomedical engineers. Well, biomedical students. engineering at Hopkins is one of the best programs in the country, as you all know, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I knew a lot, of the, a lot of the students went to medical school, so yeah. I was never really sure. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, they seem to be doing some really fantastic yeah. stuff. So, so you're a biomedical engineer focusing on molecular immunobiology. Is that right? Uh, that, that's, that's right. Something like that. So yeah. tell us about that. Well, so um, it, it's interesting. Actually, the scope of uh, immunology and engineering, it, it'll be surprising. It was surprising to me how much there is um, in, the, in terms of overlap. Uh, I, I know it sounds at the very surface, very different subjects. But once you delve into the areas, obviously, you'll see, you see that there's quite a bit of commonalities. Um, for example, uh, one of the things that I used to do when I was a chemical engineer, I worked in DuPont, was uh, I used to work with things called bioreactors or um, chemical reactors more generally. And those are um, basically big tanks with an input. Something flows in, something flows out. Something happens in that tank that gives you a product. Um, and that's what we call a chemical reactor. It's okay. a lot more fancier than, than what it really is. Is this a, like a beer brewing machine? Like a thing? beer brewing machine. That's, okay, I think we've all seen those <laughs> tanks, right? That's exactly. And, There's and, building one in Brantford right now, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, a big brewery. Uh, big the, breweries. Um, Stony Creek, but but I digress. Go ahead, please. But but those are great, great examples of uh, uh, what we call bioreactors. They're fermentation uh, happening inside. See, I was joking, but I guess I got it right. No, absolutely. And, and in fact, one of the more sophisticated types, the more simpler ones, the ones that I work with, were actually very, uh, um, very less sophisticated in the sense that you had uh, chemicals that uh, flowed into a vessel that actually spontaneously reacted with each other, and then you got something coming out, which was a product. There was no bacteria in there, like breweries, or uh, there was no fermentation process. There was no... Um, really skill in the sense that uh, the ingredients um, needed to be uh, worked on internally within the vessel. It was just a way of making a, chem- a, new, me- a new chemical, basically? Just a new chemical. Um, a- a- an ideal example, if you, for example, um, would be if you, say, take hydrogen and oxygen, um, and you mix them together, you get water. Uh, but, of course, that has to happen under certain conditions. Which like is, turning on the faucet. Like turning on the faucet. That would be easier. That would be a good idea. That's actually a better <laughs> example. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, uh, by the way, I don't mean to uh, r- 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 simplify any. No, no, no. We, we, try to keep this, we try to keep this totally simple because uh, – that's my job, really. So please, I, I don't want any chemical engineers out there to hate me. But that, that, yeah, that but the, the... those of us who are not engineers really appreciate the uh, nuts and bolts here. So please go ahead. So, so, it, it, for, so from the standpoint of a reaction, that's really the key thing. Happens within a container, and cells do that all the time. And there are input to cells. There's output, which is um, it could be input of sugar, for example, and output could be energy, or uh, it could be uh, motion. It could be a collection of cells that are undergoing um, sim- that have the same input and then uh, collectively have the same output 
give rise to tissue that have a specific function. Mm. Uh, and, and so cells, every single cell in our body is essentially a chemical reactor, um, a lot more sophisticated than the ones I used, in, uh, of course, the ones I played with in DuPont. But um, uh, immuno, immunobiology refers to a class of cells that are f- basically floating around in our body, keeping us protected all the time. And those cells are um, what we call our defense cells. And they, their input is stuff that doesn't belong inside the body. Their output is basically a way to get rid of those things. They either zap their target or they send alarm signals or they do all sorts of different functions to alert um, um, not only other cells that there is a foreign um, agent, but also to clear that agent. So you're, just for an example... Uh, so if somebody has been vaccinated against a particular, uh, I guess what, measles, let's say, everybody's had measles vaccine, and if one's exposed to the measles virus, then the measles virus or parts of it would be an input to the immune cells, Mm -hmm. and then the immune cell, which has been trained by the vaccine, reacts and gets rid of of the measles. Is that another another excellent example? No, that's not even simple. That's exactly how how it works. That's how vaccines work. That's why we all get flu shots. We train our bodies to recognize something before we actually see the real thing. And what we train our bodies to recognize are simple bits and pieces of what we think is going to be the next flu um, uh, pathogen that we'll get hit with. Um, Unfortunately, that doesn't work a lot of times, as in the HIV, um, cancer. There are no really good vaccines for cancer. Um, malaria, the list goes on. Ebola. Ebola, that's a great... Hot topic. Hot topic, yep. Yeah. Uh, and so, but that's the way it works, yes. We, we, the idea is to train our immune system to recognize um, what is foreign and protect us from it if we get exposed to it. And so how do engineers get involved with that? So, so then, so then there is the um, there's there's the nugget, right? How, how, what so what is the big issue then? If it's as easy as injecting the body with um, a uh, what we call an attenuated form of the pathogen, or or, or something that is not not as harmful as the um, virus or the bacteria. Yeah, I thought you just go to Walgreens and pay your twenty bucks. <laughs> that's uh, pretty much. That's that's. Uh, who well, needs an engineer? Right? It would be great if it was like that for everything. Um, right. There would be no issues. And, um, and but, but in fact, it turns out to be a little more difficult in the sense that uh, there are a lot of viruses out there um, and a lot of Ebola being a prime example um, that have learned to hide in the body and uh, uh, hide very well so they can evade the immune response. Hmm. And then there are other viruses that have actually are so, uh, I dare use the word intelligent, that they actually invade or uh, get inside immune cells. A good example of that is HIV. HIV hides in what we call CD4-positive T cells, and those are T cells that actually are um, extremely important for protection, generating the, the antibodies that protect us against different um, um, different kinds of uh, pathogens. And that's why patients with HIV are at risk of developing infections, I guess. Exactly. That's exactly it. Because their CD4 T cells are not as primed. They're not functioning as well. They're Mm. something in there. Though those cells are not completely dysfunctional, um, they are not functioning as normal. Uh, They're more susceptible to different uh, infections and 
and um, things uh, bad things can happen if they get exposed to um, very uh, dangerous pathogens. So um, where an engineer comes is when you try now to um, really try to in- intell- educate the immune system in a better way than just throwing in um, bits and pieces of things you want the body to recognize. Um, the idea is if you were to just sort of miniaturize yourself and and and, and get, get inside the body and, and see how immune cells work, you'll, you'll notice. And, and by the way, scientists do this all the time because they have great microscopes and they can look at cells very close up and they see how things work. Um, you will notice that um, what happens is with an invasion, um, a pathogenic invasion, that there are certain cells that are professional at eating things that are foreign to the body. They gobble things up, and then they interact with um, other cells. And so there's this crosstalk or discussion between different cells uh, to assess how dangerous is that thing that just got um, gobbled up. And, uh, like Pac-Man cells. Like it, like a Pac-Man. Yes, exactly. Precisely. In fact, a Pac-Man, if you can imagine a Pac-Man eating something and then going talking to Mrs. Pac-Man, for example. And burping. Uh, burping or <laughs> something. Like, yeah. And then that basically spells out how the immune system will, how the immune response will develop. Um, now, where engineers come in is, is essentially trying to enable that discussion. Uh, what we do in the lab is we try to create a discussion between those cells such that the output or the end result will be a very robust, very strong immune response to what got, got, what got um, eaten or, or what we call phagocytosed or um, um, cleared by those pathogenic cells, uh, by those phagocytic cells that are floating in the body. So how do you get the cells to talk better to each other? Well, so uh, the, so then the, that's um, interesting. Uh, now, if you notice, viruses, bacteria, all sorts of things are um, that get inside the body are actually particles. They're actually very small particles. Viruses are particles in the range of between 10 to 100 nanometers in diameter. Um, by the way, a hair follicle, for example, is a uh, uh, almost a million nanometers. Um, mm. And so uh, one uh, one thousandth of the diameter of a hair follicle is what a typical virus, well, or a bacteria on, in one dimension will, will, will be in terms of size. So uh, our, our bodies have learned to recognize particles. The problem now with vaccines, especially in vaccines, is that when we get immunized, we actually don't get these particulate vaccines. We get bits and pieces of molecules that we think are very important for the immune system to recognize. So the idea with uh, engineers, biomolecular engineering uh, in uh, in the vaccine area is how do you then um, really create a particulate form, safe particulate form of that that piece so that it can be recognized and uh, responded against. I want you to hold on to that particular thought particular thought. Oh, well, (laughs) sorry about that. Uh, We're going to need to take a short break for a medical minute. Uh, Please stay tuned to learn more information about really the very fascinating uh, field of bioengineering and immunotherapy with Dr. Tarek Fami. There are over 13 million cancer survivors in the United States and over 100,000 here in Connecticut. 
Completing treatment for cancer is an exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, cancer survivors can face several long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers to keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. The Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to take steps to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Tarek Fami, and we are discussing immunotherapy and bioengineering. Tarek, uh, before the break, you were telling me uh, that our immune system, if I understand it, is trained to recognize particles... And you're trying to build different kinds of particles? Is that? That's, that's the idea. That is the, that's the motivation for developing vaccines, um, at least using biomaterial. The biomolecular engineers are trying to develop particulate vaccines, and that's actually uh, one, of the big, uh, one of the big thrusts of our program. So what are you trying to vaccinate against? What are you trying to develop vaccines against? Well, we, we would like to vaccinate. Um, we are trying to develop a vaccine against currently um, a variety of different things, uh, specifically uh, what we call the flaviviral class of antigens, which are basically West Nile and you know, um, dengue fever and okay. Japanese encephalitis. These are all classes of what we call flaviviruses. Uh, the reason we're focused on that is because there's no vaccine. Um, of course, there are things to, uh, that we're very interested in. We collaborate extensively with uh, folks here at the Yale School of Medicine, um, Dr. Priti Kumar, for example, um, uh, developing, trying to develop an HIV uh, vaccine. Mm. Now, uh, the uh, uh, developing these vaccines it really entails us trying to create a, a system that is both safe the, to, you know, once, once injected, but also uh, very effective. Uh, and it turns out, in, in, in short, that if you were to take a, a piece of a virus that you know is important for recognition or neutralization, or you know that can induce an immune response, and you were to package that into a par- nano a nanoparticle, which I can tell you more about. Yeah, because I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, it's actually a very simple idea. It's a nano, the nano the simplest idea of making that wave making nanoparticles is um, if you can imagine oil and water. Um, they don't mix. They don't mix. But what happens if you really mix them? You get little bubbles. You get little droplets and bubbles. But then what happens if you really sonicate that, or you basically put in a lot more energy? No idea. I've never done that. Um, if you mix the hell out of it, you basically end up with very small bubbles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's really Smaller it. than a hair follicle? Uh, smaller than a hair follicle. And that's, 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 what, that's one of the simplest ways of making... And uh, that's a nanoparticle? And that's a nanoparticle. Those are nanoparticles. And we pay you to do that? You pay me to do that. <laughs> like, I could have figured that out. 
Well, the tricky part comes is how do you now stabilize it? Because you leave that solution alone for a while. You're going to end up with oil and water. Separation. And so how do you stabilize that system? I don't know. How do you do it? You wrap it around, you wrap around, you wrap a polymer or um, each individual bubble with something we call a stabilizer. Um, and that's where, um, you know, a lot of interesting things can happen because the stabilizer uh, can actually be made so that it can, um, would, can have certain um, addressable molecules that would take these particles would end up basically targeted to specific cells of interest. Um, and so, can you give us an example? I'm, I'm not getting this. Yeah, well, a good, a good example is uh, is cancer immunotherapy, for example. Um, okay, where in, in cancer, the, the, this there are certain cells in the body that unfortunately um, um, change structure or change or mutate in some form or another, mm -hmm. and then of course the they can um, grow and uh, and then uh, that's when a tumor develops and so the question becomes how can you target that tumor site or to target those cancer cells and um, the idea of using a nanoparticle uh, becomes very attractive there because if you can now attach something to the surface of these particles that would target those cancer cells and you load up that particle with a chemotherapeutic drug then you end up with a lot of that drug in one location, and you don't suffer the side effects. And not, not you, for, um, God forbid, but just no, 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 no. So, so I've got my oil and water bubble, yes, <laughs> and, or whatever it is. I realize that's just kind of a simplified thing, yeah. and I've wrapped it with the stabilizer, right? That's right. That's right. And the stabilizer is that what targets the cancer cell, or is there an antibody on it? Or exactly, what? you put something on that stabilizer that would basically uh, be recognized or recognize the tumor cells, and uh, a typical thing would be an antibody, and we use okay. a lot of antibodies. Okay, and then I would inject these particles yeah. into the patient. Yes. And the antibodies are going to find the cells? That's the idea. And then what happens? And that, So then you end up delivering a lot of drug to those cells. Oh, because you got chemo attached too. you got chemo inside the particles. So when you're mixing the oil and the water, you're essentially sprinkling in the drug of interest. And so when you form these bubbles, there is going to be quite a bit. The, the drug um, is going to be entrapped or entrained within those bubbles. Then mm -hmm. you wrap it around with your antibody uh, stabilizer combination, and you end up with basically what we call a targeted targeted nanoparticle. Very simple uh, conceptual idea, actually. That's that's been around for a while. Wow, you know, for some reason, this is picturing in my mind Julia Child's kitchen, which is in the basement <laughs> of the Smithsonian Institute. Yeah. Um, you know. You remember Julia Child, yeah, the French course, chef, yeah, and she's yeah, yeah. mixing this and mixing that. But I realize it's probably it's, a little less mad scientist than that. It's actually almost the same. <laughs> <laughs> so all the teenagers who like to cook who want to do science should come uh, go into bioengineering as well. And, and the best uh, biochemists are actually cooks. And the best cooks are uh, – and very good cooks are usually excellent, excellent bio, biochemists or biomolecular bio engineers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> This is great. So uh, this is a whole great uh, vocational training episode of Gale Cancer Center Answers. Uh, so th that no, no, seriously though, that, that's fascinating. So, um, but are you doing? Uh, are you also trying to turn on the immune system to attack cancer cells, or, or are some people doing that? Is that part of this kind that's, of approach? That's exactly what we're very focused on now, um, Stephen. That that is something that I'm 
personally very passionate about is, okay, now you have this interesting carrier that can be addressed to cancer cells. Uh, what do you put inside? Um, the, the, the carrier being the nanoparticle. Being the nanoparticle. Okay. Um, and, and for, I would say, that, you know, many years people have tried different drugs, chemotherapeutic drugs. In fact, there is a company now that is actually um, going through a phase two clinical trials with targeted delivery of a docetaxel, which is a drug. And so the field is finally evolving to the clinical realm, and um, you'll see products in the future, I think, in the next five, five years in the clinic uh, using nanoparticles um, delivering chemotherapeutic drugs to cancer cells. Uh, prostate cancer cells is the clinical trial that's ongoing mm. right now. Um, but that's really not – that's fascinating, but it's, and it's an excellent improvement. But I think that does not take advantage of what we can actually do with these things in the sense of using our innate defenses to eradicate the um, unnatural growth. If you the, the, What happens with uh, immunity, unfortunately, in cancer is that they become really dumb. Those immune cells that are patrolling around – and supposed to be looking for uh, pathogens, when something uh, mutates or changes, for some odd reason, and I'm, we have a fantastic immunobiology department that's investigating this in, more, uh, in a lot more breadth and depth than what I'm saying, um, something happens that neutralizes those immune cells. They become unfunctional or, or neutral. And uh, in a sense, the cancer cells, the tumor environment is actually pretty intelligent, knows how to sequester itself away from our defenses. Otherwise, it wouldn't last for too long. And so what is, what is it that it's, that it's being sent to neutralize those immune cells? And there are a number of candidate molecules, actually, um, that have been proposed. Pro, um, Dr. Richard Fulvel, for example, is one of the pioneers on um, uh, these signals that are being sent out from cancer cells that neutralize immunity. And one molecule that's uh, important, a master regulator of immunity, is actually TGF-beta. That's, okay. that's the name of the molecule, uh, transforming growth factor beta. Um, so um, that neutralization is, is one component. And what we're trying to do with nanoparticles is we're trying to deliver to those cancer cells something that, enable, that, 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 that makes them not send out these, uh, these inhibitors, the, these immune system inhibitors. Um, at the same time, we are also uh, packaging them with other molecules that actually activate immunity. So it's very much like imagine that um, you're trying um, to... Uh, give a speech, let's say, uh, and, and you want your audience to be very excited and, and responsive to your speech. And so I don't feed them lunch first. That's you my you don't technique. Feed, <laughs> you don't feed them lunch first. That's that. That's 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 an excellent analogy. And that's one thought: is you actually um, take away their ability of being lethargic, right? But then, at the same time, you maybe want to just basically feed them all Red Bull or something, or give them electric a lot of shocks. coffee or shocks or <laughs> a lot of something. Mm -hmm. And so, it's this combination that I think is very potent in the sense of awakening the immune response against um, against cancer, and you could do that very effectively if and only if you have a way to target those molecules to the cancer cells. Um, so do you have a way? And so that's where the nanoparticles come in. Right. And so the nanoparticles then would package both these inhibitors 
um, as well as stimulators. So you got the TGF beta inhibitor. Inhibitor. And then you have the um, uh, T cell stimulator. All in the same particle? All in the same particle. But they're going to different cells, right? Well, they're addressed to now the tumor cells in general. Okay. Um, and, and so what happens is they are latching onto tumor cells and then they're releasing their components. They're releasing their, their cargo slowly over time. Okay. And, uh, and so you end up with a localized um, immune effect or um, immunostimulant effect. And the T cells around there start to react? T cells around there start to react, and uh, the the cancer cells become um, very non-suppressive. Let's put it that way. And um, at the same time, you're getting this this interesting um, immune stimulation by T cells. Uh, and so, um, within a short period of time, erratic those cancer cells are cleared from the body. Now, notice there's really no chemotherapy here. There's no directed drug delivery in the sense of the classical drugs that we use currently in the clinic, all we're really doing is trying to awaken the immune system to what's wrong. And that idea is being exploited in a lot more um, breadth, actually a lot more uh, vigor uh, with other kinds of um, um, what we call checkpoint inhibitors, other kinds of things that are being developed in our EL Cancer Center for uh, um, immunotherapy. Uh, a, cl- a classical example of this idea of suppressing the immune system and um, is uh, using the antibodies of NTPD1 therapy right now, which is being developed by Dr. Li Ping Chen. Um, and um, uh, that's trying to basically awaken but also suppress the immune abil- uh, tumor cell's ability to fight an immune response. Dr. Tarek Fahmy is Associate Professor of Biomedical Engineering and of Immunobiology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program. And we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.